Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Steve Huber, and I serve as the director of the network, which means I pastor pastors and leaders, and it's a joy to be with you. I want to say by way of introduction two things that I'm grateful for you, and I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for you and with you. I'm grateful for you. Your, your church, Liberty Northeast, partners with other, churches, with other churches in the network and in the area to do good stuff, uh, to lift up the name of Jesus and serve our city. And you have that reputation. You may not know that. You have that reputation of being like generous with time to the network. Evan and Kyle are that way. And you've stepped up in a lot of ways. I'm really thankful for how you connected with, with small things and the effort to address food insecurity in our city. And I'm also excited for you. I'm excited about this move to Third Reformed and having a, you know, a place. You're going to have a sign during the week. And, and act, this is the, the kind of neighborhood. That's a big deal some places, not in others. This is the kind of neighborhood. I actually um, lived in this neighborhood a long time ago. And, uh, but it's, it's a kind of neighborhood where a lot of people, uh, when you say, when they ask, where does your church meet? They're thinking church building. And um, I'm really going to pray with you that this is a huge win in terms of inviting friends and neighbors to come experience the worship of the living God, to come experience Jesus, to come investigate Jesus. So I'm excited for you, and I'm going to be praying with you that that's a really good move. And it's coming up. Super exciting to launch. Um, this, I want to just want to introduce this letter here by noting a couple things in the background. Okay, the Philippians, they were planted by Paul, and they are worried about him. And they, he's in prison, and they sent a gift, some money, so he could have food while he's in prison. Um, in the ancient world, you had to supply your own food while you're in prison. So they're worried about him, and they send a messenger with a gift. And Paul is really thankful for them. He says right away in the opening of the letter, every time I think about you, every in all prayer, I make my prayer with joy. He's so grateful for them. He also misses them. He's going to send a leader, and he'll talk about, hey, I'm going to send Timothy to you so that I might be cheered by news of you. He cares about them so much. He's like, I, I'm dying to know how you guys are doing, what's going on. Uh, he loves them. He can look them in the eye and say, I long for you with the affection of Jesus. It wasn't some like distant relationship. You know, he didn't have a postcard with the Philippians on his fridge. And he's like, yeah, twice a year I'll get an update. That would be cool. No, he knows them. He stayed in their city. He has deep personal relationships. And he was involved in the planting of this church. And he can say honestly, I, I love you with the love of Jesus. I long for you with the affection of Jesus. He's also, this is what makes this so deep, what's next. He's deeply concerned for them. He's not just grateful for them. He misses them. He loves them. He's freaked out for them. And he's freaked out that they might not keep their unity. And the theme of this whole book, and the passage we're about to look at is the heart of it, is unity. He'll say things like this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, he says, so whether I come or see you or an absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What's a life worthy of the gospel? Standing together side by side, with one mindset, showing the same love to the world, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is the theme. uh, It appears everywhere in the letter. Towards the end, he names two respected leaders by name and pleads with them. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche. Please agree in the Lord. What were they disagreeing about? We don't know. And Paul might not have known the details, and he doesn't referee it. He just says, for the sake of the gospel and because of Jesus, would you guys agree in the Lord? Now, this is what's on my heart as a network director and pastor of pastors. And uh, I've been sitting in this book and thinking about our cultural moment and bringing passages to bringing passages in Philippians to different liberty churches. Why? Our culture is insanely divided right now. I don't need to tell you that, right? We disagree about everything. You can kind of know what someone's take on COVID stuff is by knowing something of their political position, which also is weird when you take a step back from it. And the church, though, is called to be unified. We're called, he'll say things like this in the, in the same chapter, do everything without grumbling or disputing. Everything. How we hug out and figure out what to do about COVID stuff. We got to figure it out and we can disagree and sharpen each other, but we can't do it in a grumbling, complaining way. It's a big deal. And one of the things that this last year has revealed, look, there are narratives, right, that control us, both on the right and the left. And neither of them are completely wrong. Has the government done everything right? Have some things been weird? Man, some things have been weird. Remember, like at the beginning of a pandemic, uh, the message was, yeah, you don't need masks. They don't do anything. Then later it was, uh, actually, they do do stuff, but we were just freaked out about the number of masks, so we told you you didn't need to wear a mask. (laughs) And everyone was like, thanks. Thanks for that. Appreciate you looking out. (laughs) Yeah, the government actually said, not what we first said, the opposite, but we were doing it because of this. So has the government done all the right things? No. Have there been things that have felt like overreach? Sure. Is the pandemic fake, though? No. Real people are really dying. Is it the kind of thing it seems like we ought to try to do all we can? Is there a way to have a reasonable response to this? Look, I'm not here today to talk to you about a reasonable response to COVID, but we're going to be helped in having a reasonable response to COVID and to every area of controversy if we have a deeply shaped gospel attitude towards each other and towards unity. And that's what this passage is about, okay? It's a church-wide attitude adjustment and encouragement in unity. And 
Um, this is another sermon, but let me just say this right now. There are forces at work that actually profit from disunity. Let's take social media and the news. News organizations make more money if their headlines tend to be clickbait and outrageous. They tend to have a sky is falling tone to them. Instead of here's some, re here's some things that you need to know that would be helpful, they tend to have, hey, your, all of your clothes are about to burst in the fire unless you read this. <laughs> the same thing with social media, okay? Social media profits by monopolizing your attention. And they have psychologists and you know, like neuroscience people study what makes people uh, pay attention. One of the things that Twitter found um, less than two years ago, the most popular retweeted tweets were rage tweets. This is outrageous. And so the, the companies had to grapple with the fact we're making the world angrier. Hey, you can broadcast something that's infuriating to the, to the world. And this is, look, this is a theme of the letter, because Paul says at the end of the letter, he says, look, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And we can hand over what we think and meditate on, the first things we read about in the day, to for-profit companies that make more money by monopolizing more of our attention because they get to show you more ads. The longer you're on a social media site, you see more ads. And they can say, look, you owe us more money because we had their attention for this amount of time. They're not. It's the sharing of news but it's for profit. And we can hand that over to other people, what shapes our mood and our mental discourse, how we start our day, or we can take control of it and say, you know what? Whatever is good and pure and right. The things I most want to think about are gospel things, are good things, are inspiring things. The things I most want to be aware of. And look, we're going to need to know the news, but one thing I found, um, I'm able to stay informed by, and not read the news every day. It's actually okay. I'm able to stay in touch with planet Earth and know what I need to know and not even have to do it every day. Um, the speed of the cycle has sped up in a way that it's just like too much to handle. And could this be Paul's saying this to people he's concerned for their unity. Look, I'm concerned with what you guys are thinking about all, all the time. Whatever is good, inspiring, uh, whatever reminds you there's good in the world, uh, Jesus is Lord, he rose from the dead, you don't need to freak out. Last time I checked, God still rules the world. Last time I checked, the gospel's still good. Last time I checked, uh, Jesus is king and we can praise him. Think about that stuff. Camp out there. Could we take that back? And what a, So what I want to do this morning, look, this is the heart of his concern for this church. And let me just say this, it's the Lord's concern. We see it in a human person. Um, Paul's like, 
I long with the affection of Jesus for you, and I want you to be walking side by side. But this is the Lord's concern. This is the Lord Jesus' heart. And all I want to do this morning is walk through this passage. Okay? Let's receive, uh, as a Liberty Network, as Liberty Northeast, in a politically uh, polarized time where people disagree about everything, and we can't, there's no discourse anymore. There's no patient listening to each other. Let's be gospel-shaped when it comes to disagreement because we're Christians. So listen to this passage again. I'm simply going to walk through it. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete, he says. <laughs> Do nothing. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. And when he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, What's he saying? He's like, look, if you get anything out of Jesus, you know it'd be great? Why don't you do the whole thing? Be unified. If you get anything, any comfort at all from the fact that Jesus died for your sins, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you've been softened at all, hey, do the whole thing. You know what? Really get me stoked? Being unified like Jesus wants you to be. And so he's asking that rhetorically. If you have anything going on with Jesus, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, being of the same love, full accord. And think of the one mind as one mindset. Have a similar mindset. It's the same outlook. Having the same love. What's he mean by that? Liberty Northeast, you have the same love. You've been loved by the same love. To be a Christian means that God has set his love on you through Jesus. You're completely adopted. The Holy Spirit is with you. You're not going to be alone in the universe ever, ever again. God has said, I won't leave you or forsake you. His love is on you. It's like a marriage ring that you can't take off. God has said, you're mine, I am yours. And that's the love we've received. That's the love we show to the world. We have the same love. So what's that look like when we disagree? Well, look at the next verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there it is. There's the danger. Selfish ambition is like, I want to get ahead for me. Conceit is I am better. The opposite of that is, is the humility which says, actually, I need to care about what concerns you. What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? Actually, not me, I am important. You, you are important. Uh, this comes out uh, in really practical ways, driving in Philadelphia is an exercise every single day on whether or not to put others first or ourselves first, <laughs> right? We can be like, hey, I can let this person in, or I can be like, me time, <laughs> you know? 
You ever feel that? You're waiting to be let in, and the person just like, okay, I have to pretend you're not there. You're not there. I never saw you standing there, sitting there with your blinker on for five minutes. I didn't see that. It is a very practical window to your heart. How do you act when someone else screws up? When someone else makes a mistake? Because we all do. Uh, Do you know that people, the majority of people rate themselves in like the top 25% of drivers? It's like everyone thinks that they're awesome at driving. (laughs) Everyone thinks I'm better, way better than average. And everyone, we are not. And no matter who you are, you make mistakes. I had a... um, a friend, when I first moved to the Philadelphia area, I had a friend with a really godly dad who discipled him in this. Here's this kid from Indiana working here for the summer. I'm from Western Pennsylvania. We're getting used to Philly traffic. And someone would do something absolutely insane. And his response would be, and in my family, there's one response to that, you know, growing up, rage. (laughs) Pure rage. His response is, look at my friends having a, a tough day today. Oh, my friend. My friend is having a rough day today. He's kind in his thoughts. Um, his example led me to repentance in that area. Selfish ambition. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that that counts when we're about to write a comment on Facebook. That counts when we're in the merge lane on I-95. That counts when we think about how to uh, deal with our neighbors. And the person who always puts their trash out on the wrong day. It's like they have a schedule for the wrong day. We're deeply in their brain. <laughs> that counts for all those situations. Pride or Humility. Um, there was a book written in 2009 called The Narcissism Epidemic. It was written by two psychologists, Gene Twenge and Keith Campbell. And it's, it reversed, trying to reverse, a, something that our culture thinks is basic truth. Our culture says, look, um, oh, oh, here, let me even go back a little bit further. Ancient cultures are all like people think too much of themselves and need to think of themselves in terms of, hey, I affect other people. What about the community? What about my family? What about the people my life affects? Only in the modern era era have we said, hey, you know what the real problem with the world is? Low self-esteem. And if someone's treating others meanly, they actually have secret low self-esteem. So what we need to do is build them up more, and that way they won't be so mean. And through a series of psychological tests, Gene Twenge and Keith Campbell found that actually people who think that they're better than others and act like they think that they're better than others really do think that they're better than others. (laughs) They actually truly do think that they're better than others and are entitled. They actually need to be humbled. And there's some of that in all of us. They need to... We could actually be told, love others like you love yourself. We need to be humbled. 
Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's the thing about humility, okay? He's going to talk about the humility of Jesus. Humility is difficult to talk about. It's, it's the shy quality. As soon as you talk about it, it disappears. You can't say, I'm really growing in humility. Uh, Ted Turner joked, if only I had a little humility, I would be perfect. Humility, actually, here's what it feels like when you're around a truly humble person. Um, they're actually interested in others in a constructive way. And you will typically not be like, wow, that's so humble. You'll typically be like, wow, that person is caring for others. C.S. Lewis, uh, he has a chapter on pride and mere Christianity. And he makes that point when you meet a humble person, what you notice is that they're actually interested in others. And um, here's another way to say it. Uh, godly self-forgetfulness. Others have written about this. I'm just going to summarize it for you. Godly self-forgetfulness. It's not, humility isn't saying, hey, I'm a piece of trash. I have no good to give to the world. Humility, you're not concerned about yourself at all. You're just enjoying the world and enjoying God and trying to serve other people. You're self-forgetful. You can forget being self-consumed for a moment and look around and relax and uh, be self-forgetful in a freeing way. You just think of yourself less. You don't think less of yourself. Oh, you know, I'm bad. You just think of yourself less. You're not worried about it. How can we get that? How can we grow in love that puts others first? Well, Look at what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't referee who's right. He doesn't say, Philippians isn't a book. Here's the list of all the people that are wrong. Here's the list of the people that are right. He just calls them to a gospel mindset. Uh, we need to remember that. Years and years ago, after Jerry Seinfeld did the Seinfeld show, he briefly had a show that was called The Marriage Ref. The premise of the show is a real couple with a real disagreement, and then they'd send a celebrity in to decide who's right. Hey, you're right. You don't get your way. And the winner, get this, got their picture up on a billboard in their town. I won. I was right. What Jerry Seinfeld was putting his finger on, a lot of our arguments, we want to be right even more than like the issue at hand. He's just making fun of that whole thing. What we really want when we disagree with our spouse is to be right. What's more important than being right? Loving the other person well. And it's possible to win the argument, but to lose the marriage, to lose the closeness you could have had. Paul doesn't referee. He doesn't say, these people get to put on a billboard, they're the right ones, the other people are wrong. He calls people next to imitate the life of Jesus. What's he say? Look at the passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What's it mean? A mindset to imitate. It's yours in Christ. You're called to it through Jesus. And you get it from Jesus. Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
And then there's this beautiful passage. It might have been a Christian song. It, Paul might have written it right then on the spot. We're, we don't know, but it's poetic. And he describes Jesus' humility and going down and his exaltation being lifted up. Listen to this passage. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. To stay proud, compare yourself to others, to begin to be humble, let's look at Jesus together. And he says, look how Jesus gave us a pattern to follow. Jesus humbled himself. Look at the words. He emptied himself. Jesus, who was the Son of God, became human and somehow was temporarily emptied of power. Jesus didn't walk around knowing all the facts in the world. Jesus didn't know everything all the time. He emptied himself of power because it was God's call. He emptied himself, it says. He humbled himself. And don't forget this, Jesus was obedient most of the time I mean, it's a thought that as Christians we're supposed to have. What does the Lord want me to do? What's God's call in this situation? Oh, I got a fight in a fight with my wife. I can repent now, forgive her now, or I can wait to do that and enjoy being angry for a while. What's the Lord's call? Hey, there's a sharp disagreement about what the right thing is to do, or a sharp disagreement in the life of the church. What is God's call? Will we be obedient? Like, obedient. Hey, we're, here's how the gospel works, okay? We're motivated by the love of God, and if you're new to Christianity, if you're exploring it, this is how it works. We have a relationship with God purely because of what Jesus has done uh, we didn't earn it. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And by receiving that, look, we're made new. We have a relationship with God. That's how it works. And we ought to obey out of gratitude for that, out of love, and also out of obedience. It's okay to say. Like, we're supposed to be like, what's the Lord want me to do? And Jesus is the model for this. He obeyed even to what point? even to the point of death, even a terrible death, a death on a cross. He humbled himself. So the language in the hymn, Jesus humbled himself, but was exalted by God the Father. God lifted him up. Now, in the ancient world, um, 
I grew up as a good Western Pennsylvania war- boy saying the Pledge of Allegiance every day in school. Who said the Pledge of Allegiance? Did some people in here say the Pledge of Allegiance? Not too many people saying the Pledge of Allegiance anymore in schools. Where um, That's a whole different thing. We don't have time to talk about it and even know what I think about it. But my point is this. What I didn't do and what we haven't done as Americans, we don't take the knee to a ruler. In the ancient world, people took the knee. You bowed to a king, to a ruler. That was common. And what this has promised, look at it. Therefore, God has highly exalted him bestowed on him the name that is above every name, the one everyone owes allegiance, the one everyone owes gratitude, everyone owes loyalty, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will. Look, this is is one of those passages where we say, this will happen, and it is happening. How do you mean? How is it happening? What's the most popular book in the history of the entire universe? The Bible. As if, like, God said, this is true, and it's going to be translated in more languages than any of, any of us can name. Thousands of languages. And it's going to go all over the world, all over history. That's what's going to happen. It is happening, and it will happen. Jesus was exalted. Now, what do we get from this? Jesus trusted the Father, and the Father honored him. The humble trust the God of the universe with their case. Here's the thing. God has picked a team. Team pride, team humility. God's picked a team. God says things like, you save the humble and bring bring low those whose eyes are haughty. God saves the humble, and those with that prideful look on their face, it will be wiped off one day. That look on their face. God says things like this. This is James, the brother of Jesus. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus makes massive promises. Hey, the, what will the meek inherit? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, just everything. So if you live your life uh, as a humble Christian, do what God's given you what to do, it will be unbelievably rewarded. You will not look back on life and earth and be like, I really missed out. I really should have gotten more from me. You're going to inherit everything. It's going to overflow. God's picked a team. Don't worry about missing out. How many arguments are from fear? We, we're afraid about what's going to happen. And if we trusted more deeply, would we not be more gentle? If we trusted God more. So to stay proud, compare yourself to others, that'll work well sometimes. Sometimes it won't work at all and you'll be on a really terrible rat race. You'll be on a terrible wheel. You'll have to really run fast. To grow in humility, look at Jesus, and two things will happen, okay? You'll be deeply humbled, 
We're reminded of what Jesus did for us that we didn't deserve. We're reminded the cost of our cleansing. You also feel deeply loved. Look at Jesus. You're humbled and you're loved. And there's a pattern to imitate. Okay, so I, I want to invite you to receive forgiveness. We're going to say a prayer of confession. And when we go into that prayer of confession, think about where there's a lack of, lack of humility in your life. Especially, where has there been pride? Receive from the Lord. Receive grace. Receive forgiveness. Do business with God. We'll say this prayer together, and there'll be time to speak some things to God that you know are there. And then also, there's a pattern to imitate. Okay, we're going to go out from this place, and how, whose interests has the Lord put on your mind and heart today? Whose interests, you know what, I need to care about them, I need to care about that, I have not cared about that, I put myself first. Where are you being called to imitate the pattern of Jesus, and how can we live out the pattern of Jesus together as a church? Liberty Northeast, Look at Jesus. Look how he humbled himself for you, but now is highly exalted. Believe that good news, and let's imitate him together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.